Hey, good morning. I have my mic on this service. I forgot to put it on last service at the beginning. So anyway, it's on and everything is good. Welcome. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us online, whether you're watching us live or after the fact. In-house, thank you for being here. Uh, so I want to start, I was a little snarky at the last service, so I'm going to try to tone that down a little bit. But um, so I think sometimes for me it helps to step back and get perspective on what the Bible teaches. And we believe the Bible. In fact, one of the things the free church holds to is where is it written? It's our final authority, right? And so we believe it's God's word given to us and um, we, we, that's why we teach it. And that's why we're gonna teach today in Luke, uh, Luke 16. Um, but that being said, there's a couple things that I think help with perspective. And so there's two things that are said about the world that Jesus says about the world. One thing he says is, do not love the world or the things of the world. That's where our passage is going today, okay? Now, I'm gonna make a statement, and I think it's true, that I think Christians have fallen way, way, way too much in love with the world. We are too in love with this world, the things of this world. But the other side of that is Jesus basically, you know, his whole mission was, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, it's talking about human beings that he gave his son, right? So we're not to love the things of this world, but we are to love lost people. And that's a, I, I don't know, I, I don't think we're doing a good job in that as churches and as Christians. I think that we're, we're I think that there are some Christians that think if they don't get it, Tough on them, not my problem. But yet, Jesus came to set people free because they're in darkness. So we are to love lost people. We may not love their behavior and their choice of words and how they conduct themselves, but that's not the point. The point is Jesus calls us to help us. He wants us to love people and help them. He wants to use us to help them take whatever that next step is. It might be, I believe in God now. It may be that I'm going to take that step across the line of faith. It may be that I've taken that step of faith, step across the faith of line faith, and now I'm taking more deeper steps of obedience. That's fine. But here's what I think we, we mix up in this area of loving people. This is where I get a little snarky, okay? So bear with me. There are people in Christianity today that want churches and pastors to bark at the moon. They want them to decry our culture and decry the things that are going on in our culture and preach against our culture on a weekly basis. Just tell us how bad our culture is and how sinful and how terrible it is and, and, and you'll get amens and you'll get a crowd. But I gotta be honest with you. I don't really understand what that accomplishes. I don't know how that helps people into the kingdom. Yes, our world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's bad. I get that. We all get that. I, let's, let's not argue about it. I mean, we're all, I think we're all agreed on that. But let's choose a path where we say, that's fine. That's the world we live in. That's the hand we've been dealt. That's what we're dealing with. And by the way, there were other Christian 
cultures many, many years ago that dealt with harder things than we are right now. By the way, there are brothers and sisters around the world that are doing much, much harder things than we are in their culture than we're faced with, okay? So let's just stop saying, let's bark at the moon and let's condemn our culture and let, you can get an audience doing that, but that's not what we're about, I don't think. I think our role is to say, there are people who are blind, they're darkness, they're lost, they need help. And if Jesus were to rescue them, and if he were to use us to rescue them and bring them into the light, become a children of the light, we'll see in the passage today, their life would be totally different. But what we've done is, we've jumped past salvation to sanctification. We want people to be fixed all up the way we desire them to be, and then they can be saved. But as I read scripture, it's not that way. You come as you are, with all your baggage, with all your garbage. And then Jesus begins doing a work in your life. And little by little by little, you become a different person. You become more like Jesus. That's the way it works. Now, the question is, will you be used of God to help people take one step closer to Jesus? Or are you just going to just put the line down and say, this is what we believe, and if you don't get it, to hell with you. I mean... We get what we're, we're talking about here, right? And so I, you, may, you probably aren't going to hear me barking at the moon here. And that's why I don't do it. I believe the Bible. I believe that what it teaches about a lot of issues that are really hot in our culture, sexual identity and all those things. I believe all that stuff. But, you know, I don't see the point of saying, we got it right and everyone's wrong. Yay for us. What good does that do? How does that help people into the kingdom of God? I, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. So, so that's not what I'm going to talk about today. What I am going to talk about is what Jesus talks about today. And that is that we're too much in love with the things of this world. We are. And this parable, I've had two weeks to work on it. And I don't often have that much time. So it better be good, right? That's what you're thinking. Yeah, two weeks. That's the best you could come up with. All right, there's a little bit of the starkiness that comes out, okay? It just happens. Uh, but turn to Luke 16, because I had to wrestle with this. This is a tricky passage. Some of the parables are pretty straightforward, but then others are like, what is Jesus doing here? What is he saying here? All right, so Luke 16, let me read through it, and I'll show you the issues. Um, and you may go, well, I figured that one out. I don't know what took you so long. Did you get a Bible education? Okay, sorry. It was like that the first service a little bit. I didn't even have an energy drink today, so I don't know what's going on. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. Because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking my job and I'm not strong enough to dig. Look at me. He didn't say that, look at me, but, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do um, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. 
He asked the first, well, how much do you owe the master? 900 gallons of oil. He replied, the manager, he replied, the manager told him, take out your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. So it's half, right? 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Okay. Now, it says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then it says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. People of the light means Christians, followers of Jesus. Now here's where the problem comes in. The question, because in the middle of that verse, it's either, the whole verse is either Jesus making a comment, like it goes from Jesus telling the story to making a comment about the story, or the last line, or the last line ends with the master commanded or commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. So who said that? Or, or, or who, is it the, the, the rich man who is commending the man who just stole from him again that he was shrewd? Is that what it is? Or is it Jesus saying, uh, because the, the Greek is there, is the Lord, and many times in Luke, the Lord is translated for Jesus, the Lord, right? Um, but all the English translations, yours probably says the master. So the commentators are, are wondering, well, is it Jesus or is it Jesus commending the shrewd manager or is it the wealthy man who's you know, commending his employee? That's the question, right? And so I wrestled with that. And because it's like halfway through the verse, it seems ab- it's abrupt, it's abrupt. And what I came up with is I think that I'll take what the English translations do and it's the rich man, he's affirming the shrewdness of the guy. You've got to give the guy credit. He knows, you know, you know, he took me out. And there's issues with that. I know that. And then I think Jesus begins to make a commentary where he says, for the people of this world, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Who can be trusted with very little can also be trusted, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the next verse, we have Luke's comment on all this. Okay, How, do, how was it received? So Jesus tells the story. Then he kind of makes a kind of a, um, a, a lesson application from the story. And then Luke makes a comment about how it was received by the crowd. Luke says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now, a couple points to ponder. The first one is, this rich man, in the context of the audience, 
would have been kind of looked down upon, hated. You know, it's like we, like we do today. We don't like rich people, right? Why are they rich and not me, right? That's kind of the attitude. And you say, well, we really don't do that. And we, we do. I mean, we have movies where the heroes are villains, right? Ocean's Eleven. Not that I saw it because, no, I did see it. But essentially, what was the movie about? It was about a bunch of robbers who robbed a casino. It's okay to steal from a casino because they steal from people, right? I mean, that's how, but I want you to know that illustration because that's how the people in the audience would have viewed this story. They would say, the rich man got it, yeah, right? That's how they would have viewed it. But here's the part of the parable that we struggle with. What's Jesus doing here? Like, he seems to be commending sinful behavior of this guy. He's like saying, yeah, that guy pulled a great move. Did you see it? Yeah, it was dishonest, though. Did you see that? I mean, this is the problem, right? What what is going on here? And this is, you know, this is... And I think what you have to understand is that Jesus used him as an illustration. He wasn't condoning his behavior. He was illustrating, look at how he used his wealth and how he used wealth that wasn't his to help himself and to further his place and how he leveraged it. And, and, and you know what? You could learn something from how he leveraged his wealth without affirming his behavior. In other words, Jesus said another time, write this reference down, um, Matthew 10, verse 16. Jesus said, be wise as servants or, or, or as serpents as gentle as doves. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He says you have to be you have to be a little bit crafty, you have to be a little bit wise, you have to be a little bit shrewd. You should be shrewd. Okay? Um the shrewd, man, the shrewd manager leveraged his master's resources to prepare for when he was out of a job. And so he decided, hey, the best thing I can do with the resources I have for this period of time, which is limited, because I'm going to lose my job, and I know I can't work hard labor, and I know I can't beg, so I've got to make some friends and influence people. So he takes the resources that he has, and they're not his, they're they're the rich man's, and he leverages them so that he gets a good, you know, the people think, hey, he's a good guy, you know, if you ever need anything, let me know. And he can probably think, yeah, I will, and you will, you know, and that's where he's at. And so he uses his master's money to win friends and influence people. That's the point that Jesus is making. In a similar way, I think Jesus is calling us to leverage the resources that we have here and now for his kingdom. And because um, there's a day coming when those resources are going to fail you. Either you're going to die or they're going to run out. That, that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Jesus is calling his followers to make shrewd moves with his resources, they're not yours, they're his, okay? So I think that's kind of what the parable's saying. Now, let's, let's stop and say, okay, so what, what difference does that make to us? All right, so what difference? So three points that I think come out of this that are helpful for us. Um, and the question I wanna answer is, how can we use our money shrewdly, okay? In a shrewd way, smart way, intelligent way. And there are really three different things that we need to think about. Number one, we have to understand and we have to remember that money, it is not ours. 
It's his, so invested. It's not ours. Um, the shrewd manager was misusing, and then, again, misusing his master's money. It wasn't his, but he was leveraging it for his own because he knew it was going to run out. So he was, he was shrewd in a sense that he used it while he could. Um, it's interesting, though, that the rich, uh, the rich man had to be told that, uh, the, about the mismanagement. So he was like, somebody comes in to the rich man one day and says, oh, by the way, do you know this guy's stealing from you? No. And he calls him in, and he calls him to give an account. And he says, you better get the books together. We need to meet in a couple of days. Well, in that couple of days, he goes, and he starts making friends, influencing friends, you know, and making, you know, influencing and making friends. And he's got all these people, and then he comes in, and then the master sees what he's done, and he goes, oh, man, you are shrewd, aren't you? But he didn't know that... uh, that all of his funds were being mismanaged. But you know what? He does. He knows that you have been given resources. They're not yours, they're his. Um, uh, Let me read you a passage. This is 1 Corinthians 3. Because a day of accounting is coming. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. In other words, what Paul is saying is I think the same thing that Jesus is saying. There's a day of reckoning coming. This man was going to lose his job and one day you are going to lose everything. And your job is to invest it because one day you will be held accountable for how you used those resources. But we have to settle one issue first and that's the issue of ownership. And that's the one we struggle with, isn't it? We think we own things. The psalmist says this, this is Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So, so here's the thing, God owns everything. You, you thought you came here in your car. You didn't, it's his. You thought you left your house this morning. You didn't, it's his. You think you're wearing your clothes. They're not yours, they're his. You think you brought your kids today if you have children or grandchildren. They're not your children. They're not your grandchildren. They're his grandchildren. They're his children. They belong to him. You think you're going to go to your job. It's not your job. It's a job that he gave to you. You think you have money in your bank account. It's not your bank account. It's his bank account. It all belongs to him, and none of it belongs to you. The earth is the, Lord, uh, is the Lord's, and all that is within it. Why don't we understand that? He couldn't have spoken any clearer than that. It's terribly clear. Now, I never liked it when our kids were kind of like, okay, this is clear, and they go, well, I don't get it. No, you do get it. You just don't want to get it. 
So knock it off. This is pretty clear. All right? So we have to settle this issue of ownership. So if you understand that you don't own anything, you're really a steward. And by the way, if you look at a lot of the parables, a lot of the parables are about this steward, this, guy, or this steward who's given, he's given property, he's given responsibility. And then there's this, this authority figure that either left him and is gonna come back or, you know, and there's a day of reckoning. There's a lot of those, the parable of the talents, there's other ones. We started out uh, in Christmas, uh, first, the last weekend of December, we talked about this landowner who made a vineyard and gave it, you know, rented it out and then came for his, you know, his part. And he got like, you know, that went badly. But this is a very common theme in scripture. You do not own anything. Everything that you have and everything you are has been given to you as a gift from God. You say, well, Pastor Matt, I'm sorry, but I'm very successful in the business world. And uh, God had nothing to do with that. And I would say, oh, really? You healthy enough to work? Who gave you that health? I mean, you know people that aren't able, they're very competent people, but they can't work because of health conditions. Uh, by, by the way, you live where? You live in America? You live in the United States? Um, do you know that if you live in the United States, that you are in the top, I'll be, between 90 and 95, it's really probably 95 and above, but you are in the top 90%, 90 to 95% of the richest people on this planet ever. You have more than anyone has ever had. You know, we were talking at the beginning about this struggle that we live in this culture that seems to be going in the opposite direction of God. We say, it's so hard. It is. Uh, listen, it is hard. I get it. I don't like it any more than you do. But again, I don't see the point of howling at the moon. It doesn't get us down the road. That's the problem. Now what do we do in the midst of that? Let me just say this. I think there are brothers and sisters in South America in Africa, in Asia, they would trade with us for in a second because they are in utter persecution. The freedoms that we take for granted, they have none of it. So we, gotta, we really got to stop complaining. And by the way, we are living in times where we have so much freedom compared even if you go back in church history so I, yeah, I get it. it, it's hard, but I think there'd be other times where Christians live and other brothers and sisters around the world today that might say, you think that's bad? Let me show you bad, right? But my point here is this, that God owns everything and you, if you live in the United States, are some of the richest people on this planet that have ever lived. And the whole point of what we're talking about is Jesus tells us, do not fall in love with the things of this world. And because we have a culture that provides these things so easily, it's easy for us to get caught up in that. We need to step back and say, have I allowed myself to fall too much in love with the things of this world? Have I forgotten that I'm really just a steward and he's the owner of everything? Have I forgotten that? 
We need to do a, a check, a reality check in our lives. We need to ask that question. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a child of the light, here's the second thing. Money is going to fail you, so don't trust it. Oh, I never got back to that. The comment where, where I made, where I said, but I have a job and I'm very successful. Who gave you health? Who put you on this, in this place where you're living right now? Because if you were in West Africa, if you were in China, if you were in South America, you may not even have any of the, the opportunities that you have right now. Where you were born played a big role of that. So don't take, don't take so many things that you did this because a lot of the things that played out in your life have because God sovereignly placed you in this place at this time. So number two, it's going to fail you. Money's going to fail you, so don't trust it. So Jesus is basically saying through this parable, He's, he used the illustration of this, un, uh, this shrewd manager. He's saying the shrewd manager was well aware that this was all going to come to pass. I mean, he was going to be gone. His job was over. So he made the most of it. He made hay while he could, right? And so Jesus is saying, but we don't get that. He says, he says they get it. The world gets it, but you don't get it. Why don't my children get it? that this is all going to run out. They're either they're going to die and they're going to leave it behind or it's going to run out. It's going to turn on them. And money, you know, the three reasons we love money and we, need, you know, we, we feel like I have to have it, here's the three reasons. Number one, it brings us a certain amount of security. You feel more secure about your life if you have a million dollars in the bank or if you have a buck. You know, you look at your bank account and go, wow, I've got a buck three. I'm really doing well. That interest is really piling up. But you feel better if you have a million dollars in the bank, right? Um, but here's the thing. Money, so, so that's one. It'll give you, it'll, it'll help you feel secure. It'll help you feel significant because you'll say, well, look at me. And other people say, well, he must be pretty smart or successful or talented or something. I mean, look at all the money he has. Or she has. Look at, look at, look at, they're, they're just super wealthy. I mean, come on. And you go, well, so, but, okay. So I feel good because look at what I can do. And then the third one is satisfaction. I mean, if you have a lot of money, you could take trips and vacations. You can live in beautiful houses and drive beautiful cars and wear nice clothes and eat at the fine, finest restaurants and stuff like that. But here's the thing. All that can change in a moment. Some of you have had that happen in the last couple of years where you've gone to the doctor. I mean, you're doing okay financially, but you go to the doctor and you go for your regular physical and the doctor says, I see something, we need to take a picture. Go, go down to the lab. You go down to the lab, they take the thing, your doctor calls you back and says, hey, you know, I see something there. We need to send you to a specialist. Go to the specialist. The specialist says, yeah, I think, I think it's the C word. And I think it's pretty, it's pretty aggressive. We're, we're going to have to really go after this. At that moment in your life, money isn't the, the, the best thing in the world because it doesn't matter how much money you have, that's not going to fix the problem. Money will mock you at that point. 
look at all this money you have and you have nothing to do with it because you don't feel good and you're probably not going to live very much longer. That's what money does. If you build your life on money, it's just a matter, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're going to be disappointed. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, figured that out. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money uh, never has enough. Whoever loves Jesus is pointing out that the generosity of the servant was shrewd. Now, you're going to say, wait, but he was, being, he was being generous with somebody else's money. I mean, it wasn't his money to give away. He could, it wasn't, he should have never. Who, who owns everything that we have? Yeah, right? It, we, we're doing the same. That's his point. That's his point. It's not yours anyway, but use it shrewdly. As followers, we are to deploy his resources for his kingdom. Um, That means we carefully manage what we have. And we need to ask the question. Here's the question you need to ask. And I don't know if you have recently or ever. If I have more than I need, is it possible or is it even likely that God has given me more than I need because he wants me to bless someone else. He wants me to do something to further his kingdom. He wants me to deploy this resource not on myself, but on someone else. And I would say the answer is probably yes. Which calls into question your living standard. Oh, I went there, didn't I? No, seriously, let's be honest. I mean, the bottom line is, We have to say, okay, if I'm going to deploy the resources that are his and I'm going to be a good steward, that means I have to say, okay, so how much do I really need? How much am I going to leverage for his kingdom? Money is a tool to be used. It's not a God to be worshipped. And I'm afraid too many Christians have been so pulled in by the love of, Jesus says you can't love God in money. Why is the church sort of lukewarm? Not sort of, it's really lukewarm. Because we love money more than we love God. Because we rely on it more than God. Because our culture says if you have money, your problems are solved, everything's good, you're, you're great. It's a lie. Well, how is it with you? Let me close with these last few thoughts. We say that we want to help you take whatever that next step is with God. And we want you to do this. So now I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to think in your own heart, and your own mind, these next questions. I'm not asking you these questions to make you feel guilty. Because guilt doesn't motivate very long. It works a little bit, but you know, when you're in a pinch as a parent, you can try, try to use guilt and it might work. But it, essentially, it's not a good motivator, okay? I want you just to hear these questions and sincerely ask yourself, what would you answer to these? We would say that prayer is a significant spiritual discipline for a growing Christian. I want to ask you a question. How much time have you spent in prayer this last week? How much time? I'm not saying you have to get on your knees every, every day for an hour or get up at six or five o'clock in the morning, but prayer is a conversation. How has that conversation been? 
with God this, this last week? How have you prayed? How have you, you know, spoken to God and, 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 and say, God, show me you know, who, who you are today or help me to walk with you. Help me to be aware of your spirit today. I mean, where are you in your prayer life? Number two, we believe this, that, you know, I'm pointing at my tablet, but I'm talking about the word of God, that, that, that the obedience to God's word is uh, the spiritual discipline of a Christian, of a, of, a, of a good, a growing Christian. So let me ask you this. How many of you this last week have read the Bible and then taken it in and been obedient? In other words, something changed in your life because you were reflecting on scripture, you were reading it. How many, and I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands, but I'm just asking. How many of you just opened the Bible up and said, God, speak to me through your word today? Now, some of you who came to the walk through the Bible two weekends ago, uh, some of you made a 30-day commitment that you're going to read the Bible for 30 days. How are you doing on that? If we say it's God's word, and if it, if it gives us purpose and meaning in life, and it tells us about the path of salvation, and all these other things, important things we have, and we say it's the bread, the bread of life, if we def- desperately need it on a daily basis, if it's our manna, if it's so, then I want to ask you, how many times in the last week have you been in the word of God? Let me give you another one. If sharing your faith is a spiritual discipline for a growing Christian, how often have you tried to make conversations move towards uh, the, the spiritual side of life? How, how often have you been able to talk to people about what they believe? How often have you been able to share your faith with others? You say, Pastor, I'm not a, I don't have the gift of evangelism. It doesn't matter. We're all called to share our faith. Uh, I, I use the phrase, we're one beggar sharing with another beggar where we found food. Now, let me just say this. I think, I dare you, I double dog dare you to pray this prayer. See, now you got two stones, prayer and evangelism. I, I double dog dare you to pray this prayer. Lord, I know you are sovereign over all the earth and sovereign over my life. And I know everything I own is, is, belongs to you. And I want to be aware this week of the divine sovereign appointments you have placed on my calendar. And I'm gonna ask you, Lord, to help me be aware of those divine appointments that you have on my calendar. And I will be responsible to act on faith in the lives of those people. They may ask a question that's spiritual. They may say, hey, did you go to church this week? They may, you just, but you'll have a tug on your heart where the Spirit of God is saying, now, 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 you know? And, and what we won't do is this. I believe the Bible, do you? If not, you're going to hell. There, I've done my job. No, you haven't. You've made a mess of things. And a lot of us are gonna have to clean up your mess. Two weeks ago at uh, Walk Through the Bible, seven people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right? But God wants to use you to help, not to, one step closer, one step closer. God wants to use you to help a person take one step closer. You don't have to finish the deal. You might, but you don't have to. 
You have spiritual gifts, right? When was the last time you deployed your spiritual gift to serve in his kingdom? It might be in this church, it might be in the community, but you use your gift that God has given you. You say, well, I don't know my gift. Well, this is where the kids, my kids come in again. I don't know how, okay, fine. Ask someone and find out. Let's stop being dumb about it, okay? Really? Don't you do that with your parents? Okay. Do you know that about 20% of the people of any church generally does 180% of the work and 80% of the giving? That shouldn't be that way, should it? One last one. This is the one we've been talking about, and I'll close with this. Generosity and giving is a spiritual discipline for the growing Christian. How are you doing? It got quiet in here for a minute. Understand what I'm saying here. If it's a spiritual discipline, and if you, you, you want to say, okay, I want to make sure that I don't fall in love with the things of this world, and, and tithing and giving is a way for me to bring myself back to reality, and remember it all belongs to him, and 10% is a good place to start. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you give 10%? I'm not going to say that. Now, I, as your pastor, one of your pastors, I do. We gave more than 10% to Hope Church this last year. We have since we've been here. I looked at how much we gave to Hope Church because we got our giving statement and how much we paid in taxes. And I looked at that figure and I go, man, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of money. And Jesus said, pay to Caesar what Caesar's, pay to God what is God's. But here's the thing, it's all his anyways. Again, I don't want you to feel guilty but we can bark at the moon, we can decry our culture, or we can say, God, we live in a world that's headed to hell. And we have people who are in darkness because we once were there. And we need people that are going to raid the gates of hell. But it's going to take resources. It's going to take people using their gifts. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take people who know the scriptures. It's going to take all those things. And frankly, that's what this church should be about, helping people take that one step closer to Jesus. And then they do, and they cross that line, and they step into the kingdom of God, and everything changes, little by little. Let me ask you one last question. The man in our parable had an exit strategy from his job. He knew his job was over. Let's say it was two weeks. So he made the most of that two weeks. He said, I got two weeks. I got to make influence friends. I got to make friends and influence people. I, gotta, I just got to do that as, as soon as I can, as quick as I can. One day, you will leave this planet. You will leave this life. And you will stand before God. Are you ready? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? He gave his life to you. Have you given your life to him? I don't, I'm not asking if you believe in him. I'm asking if you've ever given your life to him. If not, why not? What are you waiting for? Maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm just not even sure I believe in God. That's fine. Keep on that track. He'll find you. He finds his lost sheep. So last thing I want to say is this. This week... I challenge you to go out 
and make some shrewd moves for his kingdom. Because that's what Jesus wants you to do. And I pray that you take one or maybe two things from this message that the Spirit of God has really brought to your heart and it will make you a different person. You'll leave a different person than you came in today. You'll be a different person this week than you were last week. You'll be a different person next year than you were this year. Little by little, step by step. I pray that you would do that. Stand with me. Let me pray with you. Father, help us because without your Spirit, we are unable to to do this. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the story of the shrewd manager. Help us to learn the lessons that you want us to learn. And every one of our lessons may be a little different, but I pray, Father, that we would leave this place different than we came. I pray that you would be glorified in our life. I pray that we would leverage those divine appointments that you've put on our calendar this week. I pray that we would leverage our money uh, for your kingdom so that when we stand before you one day, you will say, good, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that if there's anyone here who's never crossed that line of faith and they don't know how that they would find out and ask somebody, maybe me after the service, and find out how they can know life eternal, that they would have an exit strategy. And I pray this all in Jesus' name.